Thank you. (laughs) This afternoon we'll be talking about the sixth of the factors of awakening, and that's samadhi, concentration. So we're getting closer to chocolate. So following calm and tranquility, as Gil was speaking about so beautifully last night and this morning, the mind gets less and less reactive, we're more at ease, more relaxed. And you can sense that the mindfulness is becoming more continuous, the investigation is getting a little more skillful, and their energy becomes more balanced. And then there's some soft joy and appreciation of the practice. The mind becomes more still. The whole energy system, instead of leaning forward, is relaxing back, becoming more at ease. And there's a calm rather than a reaching out for experience, a settling. And so as we're receiving the experience right now, have that sense of relaxing back, of coming to ease, releasing all the experiences of the day so far, just letting it all go. And that same sense you had this morning of calm, peace, releasing. The Buddha said, develop concentration, O monks. One who is concentrated sees things as they truly are. So as things become quieter, more still, more peaceful, we begin to see more clearly how things are unfolding. There's a stability, a steadiness, a clarity that concentration brings. Sometimes we think of concentration as tight, efforting, get concentrated, you know, concentrate is a doing. And yet, it's more a releasing and an opening and a steadying. It's the stability that brings the power to concentration. It's like we're gathering all the streams of energy of the body, the mind and heart away from all the distractions of the world and we unifying them and bringing them together, almost like into a laser beam that we're then directing towards experience to penetrate more deeply and see really clearly into the nature of everything that we're exploring. Gathering ourselves back into presence from being separated off, disconnected. So this samadhi then is an integrating in. um, And once unified, things begin to separate out. One of the great Thai teachers, Ajahn Lee, talks about it's like putting a rock in a very, very hot fire. The, The metals, as they become molten, then start to separate out into their individual natures. So experience starts to untangle and separate out, and we can see each of the components more and more clearly. So stability brings us more and more deeply here, right here, this moment. 
It's an unshakable heart. It's as though we were on this boat that was kind of rock being rocked by the waves. Um, slowly we're becoming more and more still, unshakable. And it's a training that steadies the mind by letting go. As we release the distractions, we're less pulled and we become more and more stable and calm and centered. One of the analogies um, of, the, of, the, of the path, the Eightfold Path, is that it's like a bridge from the unsafe shore, confusion and doubt and greed and hatred, over to the safe shore of freedom and liberation. And one pillar of the bridge, the pillar on the near shore, is sila, is integrity, and the bridge on the far shore of freedom is wisdom. And there's this big pillar in the middle that's our samadhi practice, and that's mindfulness, effort, and concentration that can go deep down. The middle pillar plunges through the depths of all the streams of confusion of the mind, all the fast-flowing currents of the mind, into this stability. Um, And it kind of, it's like rooted in awareness um, so that all of experience can come and go and yet there's this stability. Sometimes we can, samadhi is described as one-pointedness, this gathering together into one point. And we can have a fixed object sometimes and that might be the breath or it might be a phrase like budo or mantra loving-kindness practice, the body, certain different objects. There are many, many objects that the Buddha described to use for one-pointed concentration. And they were taught depending on one's personality. And that's a whole other talk. Or there's momentary concentration, which is on a flow of changing objects. And that's what we're beginning to do here. We began with the breath and now we're including sounds, thoughts, sensations, moods, everything. So it's this one point that includes all of it, this flow from one object to the next. I'll talk about that a a little later. Holding our attention steadily on the object though, whether it's a changing object or one object, isn't clinging to the object. It's not holding on tightly. It's more steadying the mind by letting go of distractions. So it's this uninvolved receptivity that's just gently connecting. We can also talk about concentration practice as different meditative states. It's a pleasant abiding. As we become more still, there's a relief and a feeling of being refreshed and steadied. It's pleasant. And then there are the states of knowledge and vision. And these are more special states, kind of like special powers that people who have very deep concentration can experience. Being able to see and know things uh, very deeply. Um, in other realms sometimes. And then there's insight and wisdom, 
which is what we're exploring here. Concentration takes us into deep places of insight and wisdom. And then if we continue that further, if we look further and further with our, with our clear seeing, then we begin to see not just that everything changes and that it's not personal, we begin to, the insights begin to settle deeper and deeper as the mind is still, so that we realize that we're disenchanted. We don't need to reach for things anymore. We don't, we're freed a little from desire. We're not as reactive. And the phrase is the, up, the defilements are uprooted. So that's the, the, the more moving towards the, the culmination of the path. But whichever um, form of concentration we're talking about, the concentration that the Buddha was describing in the Eightfold Path has three particular characteristics. It's always wholesome. It's always in the service of liberation. It goes into deep, powerful states of one-pointedness. And then it incorporates the use of mindfulness and discerning wisdom that second um, factor of awakening to develop wisdom in the service of liberation. So it's wholesome, it's one-pointed, and it's in the service of liberation. So we can concentration can be employed for many things, not necessarily skillful. So this is really the wise concentration of using it um, for liberation. And we can watch that in our practice. Sometimes we can, when we're um, doing concentration practice, we want to get these very pleasant altered states. We want to keep, or we want to attain some level of absorption. And there's a lot of wanting in it. And if we can practice with generosity and openness, then there's a release and a deepening of our practice rather than a contraction and holding that gets in the way. Because these beautiful states, even though they're really refreshing and steadying and a blessing, they can also lead to wanting and craving. Bhante Gunaratna says, only concentration untainted by craving can act as a path factor leading to awakening and freedom. So it's not to be afraid of them or avoid them. In the early years of my practice, often we were sort of warned away from states of absorption. You know, you can get easily attached to them. Don't do it. Don't do jhana practice. It's not safe. Um, You know, and if, if our minds were going towards that, we were directed away to insight practice. But over the years of the practice being in the West, teachers have seen how valuable absorption practices if it's done skillfully with um, a knowing that we can enter these blissful states and we can let go of them. Um, We just have to be aware. So the wholesome concentration then brings stability, brings energy and brings confidence and from that comes joy and as the joy comes we become more calm and at ease and at peace, and then concentration comes. So the factors of awakening 
just lead us in that direction. We become refreshed, steadied, and then blessed by the powers of concentration. So, first of all, we need to notice, as it advises in the the suttas, is concentration present or not? Is this a mind that's concentrated or a mind that's distracted? Simply to know. That's the first thing, to be aware. And then, how do we, if it's not there, how do we cultivate it? First of all, and just like with investigation, with joy, with all the other qualities, we need sila, we need integrity. If there's um, feelings of remorse or aversion or guilt in the mind, can't settle. So we need to be practicing um, in a way that's non-harming. If we're sitting there judging ourselves or speaking to ourselves in a harsh way, then we won't be able to settle and get concentrated. And that can be sneaky. We can be judging our practice and not realize that that unwise speech, in a way, is blocking our concentration. And that if we could be just kind to ourselves and non-judging, then the concentration would open up. So sila is really important. And then sometimes we begin with one-pointed concentration. We choose the breath, as I was talking about. We connect and sustain our attention on the breath, and very gradually the concentration builds. And it's helpful to notice, as we've been talking, to build the continuity of mindfulness, and to notice um, if we can keep it for the whole of the in-breath, the whole of the out-breath. And then not only do we want it to be continuous, we want our attention to be completely present. If we have a lot lot of um, static, if we haven't quite got into the breath channel or whatever it is, then thoughts are in the way. So we might have a continuous awareness of the breath, but we're not completely with it. We're paying attention to the breath and we're thinking at the same time. And we've talked about that. So it needs to be continuous and complete. And the more complete it is, the more the energy of concentration can build. And there's a momentum that happens. And it helps to be patient and kind and gently persevere. And also to be light-hearted, to, to have some, um, some, bring some joy in um, is helpful. The factors that help us develop and perfect concentration, um, there are five factors called the jhana factors. And these factors, these are qualities that come into balance as we get more and more absorbed in concentration. But they're also useful if we're not necessarily deeply absorbed. They really help us steady the mind. And the first of them is called vitaka. And that's simply this connecting. It's bringing the attention here, now. It's turning the heart in. It's developing a friendly relationship with our object of mindfulness. It's turning the heart back. Be here. Be awake. So it's like we're connecting with this bowl. We've connected with it. 
Here we are, we come and connect. And then the next of the factors is called uchara, and that's the receiving of what we've connected with. We've now, we're holding it, it's settled into our hand, and I'm feeling the texture of the bowl, and it's cool and smooth and pleasant. And then after a little while it gets sticky and a bit unpleasant, but I'm receiving the changing texture of it, and that's vichara. So it's a deepening capacity, and we start to be able to adjust a little. So as, as we're connecting and receiving deeply in this way, the discriminating wisdom comes in. And it might notice, oh, holding a bit too tightly. Oh, holding a bit too loosely. I'm about to drop it. So it gently tunes in. It becomes very attuned and connected um, and feels the subtle vibrations about is there too much um, tension here or is there too, too little connection. It senses into that the need to adjust so that fine-tuning can happen, so we can stay more and more present, and the interest can grow, which supports us to stay connected. So it's very intimate. And it helps us um, meet the patterns of habit patterns of avoidance that tend to drag us off. Those strong currents in the mind that are pulling us away, it helps us connect and um, release those a little more. And we build more and more ability to say, uh-uh, not now, here. I'm connected and sustaining the connection. And then from that, as we do that, we start to actually savor the experience. It becomes very pleasant, and that's the quality of piti, joy. So you can see how they're similar, actually, to the factors of awakening. The joy comes from holding it. The whole being fills with the experience. It might be that the whole body is bathed in the breath now and it feels very pleasant. It's the filling up with this sense of experience. And if we've been doing it gently, if there's been a gentleness to it, then that's a pleasant feeling. If we've been holding a little tightly and forcing a little bit, then the piti can be very intense and unpleasant and kind of jarring. And so discerning wisdom will reveal that and we can relax a little bit and bring more calm in. So there's a a modification. And then as this pleasantness grows, we start to relax a little more into it. We're filled up now, we have this sense of releasing, and there's a settling and an ease. And that's the tranquility that Gil was talking about, where the edges of the um, vibration start to soften and there's more releasing and settling. You can feel that now as I'm talking. That sense of, ah, release. I'm here. There's nowhere to go. A sense of, of satisfaction and ease. And as that happens, the body and mind start to become more and heart more and more integrated into one point. And the word for that is akagata, one akagata, one pointedness, more grounded, 
more unified. The mind is becoming more unified with itself. And there's just this really deep sense of peace and settledness. And also what happens with that is the separate sense of self recedes. The the referential thoughts start to decrease and there's just no need for them. We're quite centered. So the more present we are in that way, the more we begin to see the nature of the body, the mind and the heart. And we can see what hinders us. We can see the movement of desire and aversion and doubt. We can see these things moving through of speculating and worrying. And we're less caught in them. So focusing on a single object in that way integrates everything together so that we're, and it cuts through the habitual reactivity and obsessing and worrying and the mind loses its addiction to fantasy and busyness because it's content, doesn't need to go anywhere. So this profound stillness and calm is very absorbing and very healing and the mind is temporarily free from the hindrances. There's sort of release and there's such a feeling of calm and cool and relief when the hindrances are, are um, temporarily suppressed. But we can suppress what we've been avoiding and that's not so useful. It is refreshing and healing to have that experience, but it is temporary, temporary, and it's not getting metabolized necessarily. Larry Rosenberg talks about that as healing and, and freeing, but it's like um, being very calm, but the delusion hasn't gone. So we're calm, but deluded. <laughs> So calm fools, he talks about. But we're just not aware (laughs) that the delusion is lurking in the background. As soon as we get up from our sit, it's waiting for us. (laughs) Or whatever it is. So, um, these great powers of concentration are very helpful. That absorption... But you can also see um, an example I, I heard from another teacher, Martine Batchelor, where she was giving the, descript- the, um, the comparison of those autistic savants, those people who have amazing powers of concentration. And sometimes they actually have special powers. Um, they're able to draw or paint or add or do all these amazing things that are beyond what the usual mind can do. They're completely absorbed and have these incredible powers in their brains, but they're cut off. They've excluded so much that they're no longer able to really connect in the world and encounter. And so what we want is an inclusive vision that can encounter the world. The absorption is leading to peace because the mind's unwavering, but it can't connect with anything else. And so it's useful to cultivate a a concentration that is inclusive of everything else. It's less deep, but more connected. So it's um, a middle way, and I'll be talking about that 
more a little later. So there's calmness and spaciousness, calmness and vividness, concentration and vipassana. It's that ability to use both. So the the other type of, of building concentration that we've been beginning to do here is um, uh, what's called konika concentration or momentary samadhi. And this is where we're directing our mindfulness to changing objects all the time. Um, mind states, emotions, sensations, sounds, everything, whatever is arising, we've got this continual awareness of everything moment by moment. Whatever's predominant, moment after moment, and we're not clinging to any one of them. It's this and this and this and this. And we see that the thoughts come and go. Everything is come and going, coming and going, and we're connecting with it. And we're developing the ability to shift between changing objects with an unwavering attention. We're not pulled around so much. We have this unwavering. And our stillness, then, isn't dependent on suppressing anything. The stability comes from being with these changing objects. So we're still one-pointed, but we're one-pointed on changing objects. So that's the difference. The same principle applies. It's continual and it's complete. If it's not complete, then we get drawn off. All of a sudden we realize we've lost it, we've gone somewhere else. Or that there's a conversation going on here and the breath over here and there's little pieces, it's scattered. So it's continual and it's completely present. We're not anticipating the future, we're not holding on to the past, and we're not holding on to the present either, because the present is changing. So there's this flow of experience, and the mind is unified with itself. And when we have concentration like that, when our samadhi is flowing like that, it starts to be possible to turn the attention from the objects that are flowing by to look at the mind itself, to look at awareness itself. And um, Upasika Keenanayan was um, a wonderful Thai laywoman who had amazing um, depth of practice. She was a, a, a very awake being. And this is how she describes it. She calls it normalcy, when we have this ability, this stability to be aware of the changing flow of objects. She said, if we're aware right at awareness itself, without getting involved, the mind can be be at normalcy. And by that she means equanimous. The mind can be equanimous. It's calm, balanced, undisturbed. And we can have a steady mind in all situations. So no matter what's happening, we have steadiness and balance. We're grounded in the body and yet we're open to all of experience. So the advantage of having a single object as the primary anchor is that it's very simple. It keeps us grounded, there's stillness, there's stability, and it's easy to come back to, relatively easy, (laughs) to come back to the breath and to keep 
an anchor that's straightforward and simple. We just All we have to do is release everything else but the breath and gradually the stability will, will deepen and will become um, still and clear. The disadvantage is sometimes it can get very tight and controlled. Sometimes people find they get very tense around the breath and um, it can become unpleasant. Or we can get into this state where we're quite concentrated but the mind is kind of um, frozen and blank. Um, in one of the Tibetan teachers calls that stupid shamatha. Where <laughs> you're in this very still state <laughs> but <laughs> there's no... <laughs> There's, there's no wisdom there. There's no clarity there. I call it cow consciousness because I have this sense of I'm sitting there sort of chewing away. You know, <laughs> I'm not distracted in any way, <laughs> but um, I'm not awake either. Um, so that can, that's one of the dan- that's one of not the dangers, but one of the things that can happen when we with this one object. If you have an open attention with no anchor, that's more spacious. And for some people, that's easier than trying to use one object. And our attention just has to come to whatever arises. So we don't have to um, get rid of anything. Whatever arises is an object. And for some people, that's an easier way of the mind becoming steadied. Because all you have to do, there's no object that's a wrong object. Everything is an object to um, develop samadhi with. All you have to know is where the attention is in the moment. Where is the mind right now? What's happening in this moment? Just this continual knowing, continual awareness. And the advantage of that is you're not trying to control anything. It's natural and it can become effortless. The disadvantage is spaciousness can become spaciness. You can get very spaced out with that. So you can use both in balance. Neither one is better than the other. It's which is more useful for each of us at any one time. So the encouragement is to practice with each and see which really helps you get a steady mind. Some people find that they begin with the primary anchor and get some balance and stability and then they open open it up, and that really helps them. Other people find it's easier to begin with just paying attention to whatever arises, and they don't use the breath. They build the stability with whatever is arising. And if they start to space out, get lost in thoughts, then they might come back to the body or to a sound. And so it's it's really... um, an individual thing and exploring for yourself what's most helpful. So to, to, to once we have some samadhi, we want to develop and strengthen it, help it um, gradually get deeper. And it's supported by all of the seven factors of awakening. Mindfulness, investigation, all of them help lead to the progression of concentration. And also it's guided by wise view and wise intention. They really support and help. Kindness, compassion, 
also support a concentration. And, of course, having relaxed and balanced effort support it. And I find that having some trust really helps. If what's in getting in the way of my concentration is I've lost confidence, then letting go of belim- limiting beliefs can really help. What are the limiting beliefs that are, I can't get concentrated, you know, um, I've never been able to concentrate. <laughs> this is not something that I can do, it's only for other people. My mind is an ADD mind, it just doesn't do that. <laughs> and so just releasing limiting beliefs is very helpful. And balance is an art, finding the right balance of interest and tranquility, because both are needed. And so it, that will change from day to day in sitting, sit, one sitting to another, balancing tranquility and investigation together. We begin to be able to discern when a gentle continuity is what's needed, an acceptance, and that's what's supporting concentration. Or when we bring, need to bring in a little more connecting and sustaining intentionally. We've, we've drifted off. It's very pleasant, but we're kind of hanging out. We've kind of got a little bit indulgent. This is pleasant. But we could actually connect and sustain a little bit more and we would deepen. There's more possibility. So this balance of the three, mindfulness, investigation, and energy, lead to a really um, powerful concentration. And also, as joy comes, then then there's less in the way of the concentration naturally unfolding. And as I was saying, sometimes we can be, there can be too much. In other words, we've got We've got two, um, we've, we've fallen into what I sometimes call a sinkhole, where um, there's been a fair amount of concentration, and it's like we've fallen into a hole where everything is very still and quiet and peaceful. And nothing. <laughs> but it's very, very still and quiet, and you can kind of hang out there for a while. Ajahn Chah had a nice saying. He said, chickens sit on their nests for hours. So it's like that just stillness. Nothing is happening. And we can also get um, get states that are very um, blissful and luminous and beautiful. And we can get attached and drawn to those. Or there can be a lot of joy, and there's too much joy. It's kind of, that's not balanced. And so having the balance of just noticing that and inclining to calm is very helpful. And our investigation um, quality of awakening can differentiate between tightness and relaxation, between too much doing and between being and balancing between those. And so that as the concentration starts to flow from this place, it becomes more and more malleable, as Gil was talking about that last night. And the mind gets very flexible, 
bright and clear. And it's a great feedback loop. The more that happens, the more aware we are of the other factors of awakening. And we can even intentionally call them up. We can notice, oh, may there be, may there be more energy in the mind. And it happens, because the mind is pliable and flexible. May there be more calm in the mind, and the mind starts to calm down, just when we have that pliability. But it does take time to develop. It needs patience and resolve and letting go, especially of our limiting beliefs. One of the analogies, it's like a sloping shoreline that gradually deepens to a really deep lake. And some people's minds are such that they don't have to connect very much and they're in the depths of the lake. That's just their personality. I have friends like that. Their minds just easily, boom, they become deeply concentrated. Others of us, it's more gradual. And um, it's not to judge that. Even if you feel you haven't been very concentrated, you have more stillness than you're perhaps aware of. Everyone here is more still and has more concentration than they had at the beginning of this retreat. So just to honor that and um, to appreciate the stillness that's here, sometimes we can get into wanting or comparing mind, which is not so helpful. So as the stillness builds, we gradually move from a simple calmness to what's called access concentration, a concentration that can access deeper and deeper levels of being absorbed, or jhana as it's called, or can begin to access deeper and deeper levels of insight. And this malleable, peaceful, sometimes blissful mind can move to either the the absorptions or to insight practices. It's like these two paths to calm and to insight as they're referred to, these two different paths. Sometimes the first path is said to lead to a pleasant abiding here and now. Um, It's a blameless kind of happiness where the mind is content and doesn't require all these external things for happiness content. It's very beneficial and luminous and still and clear. The difference between the Buddha and the other teachers of his time was that he saw that it wasn't enough to stop here. In fact, he said, said, one should not allow the mind to wander without. Neither should a bhikkhu allow the mind to stop within. One who is able to be mindful in that way will be able to extinguish all suffering. So he advised not stopping within or stopping without, but continuing. So it's leading to mindfulness and clear comprehension using our collected, unified mind so that the feelings and thoughts and perceptions can be known as they arise and seen for what they are. The power of the steady mind 
enables us to begin to go deeper and deeper and we can start directing it towards um, towards the nature of arising and passing to see how things are coming and going and dissolving. We can see how things have an unsubstantial empty nature. We can see that nothing is can be taken as personal. Everything about us, our body, our perceptions, our feeling tone, all of it is constantly changing. And all of it isn't to be taken as I or mine. We actually start to really sense that. Whatever we focus on, whether it's the bodily functions or mind states, we can really see the the impermanent nature of it. And it's very freeing to have this sense. So that um, it's as though a concentration, investigation, mindfulness are all coming together. And they're purifying all the obstructions, decreasing the hindrances, and they're also transforming on a very deep level so that we're less identified with all the patterns of mind and there's less stickiness. It's as though we have Teflon or non-stick mind. So when difficult mind states arise, like say um, states of inadequacy and self-doubt, and we're really caught, when the mind is clear and malleable in that way, it sees and knows inadequacy arising. An adequacy has arisen. And it might sense the contraction around that. And then it might n- know, oh, the contraction is because there's a believing of those states of inadequacy. Oh, the b- story is being believed. And then, because the mind is malleable and concentrated, that dissolves. The belief, the, the state dissolves, the belief in the state dissolves, And then the I that has become that state dissolves. The I that believes that state dissolves. So we start to see this amazing pattern teasing itself apart because the mind is malleable. And then there's this, oh wow, I don't have to believe my thoughts and stories anymore. I don't have to be afraid of my mind. And when the concentration is there, it's such a relief. And then we walk out of the hall and we're walking along and boom, there we are caught again. (laughs) Some other state. Maybe what happened is we feel so great. I am so great. I became the great one. (laughs) And then, then, oh, I am the greatest arose. And then, oh no, I shouldn't have become the greatest. Now I'm the worst because I believed it. (laughs) There's just this constant flow. But when the mind has a little bit more malleability, we can see that happening. And that's what I find so amazing. It's not that it stops arising, at least at this stage of, of, of the practice, but it's not as sticky. And as the concentration wanes, the stickier it gets. But once we've had that experience of seeing it not so solid, then we know that that's possible. And the confidence builds. Even if I'm stuck right now, 
oh, a moment of stuckness has arisen. Oh, a moment of holding on has arisen. And a moment of being unable to let go has arisen. And so we see all that. And that, just the seeing of that, is building mindfulness. And in doing that, the capacity to let go returns. And so it's it's the continuity of mindfulness that is feeding that possibility of the concentration building and the, and the mind becoming less sticky. And we can, we can build this um, flexible concentration really from, um, from either of those paths that I talked about. The, um, the, the one object and then becoming more absorbed, the path of absorption or the path of Vipassana insight where we have all those different objects. And, it's, and we can begin with concentration practice and add insight. So the mindfulness and concentration are not separate. They're interweaving and balancing and supporting each other. It's not an either-or. They're a team. And gradually the concentration is deepening and the insights are sharpening. And there's an inner stability that happens so that we're less overwhelmed by the fear and anxiety. We're less shakable. There's more capacity, more ability to tolerate difficult mind states. One of the things, though, that can happen during practice is that concentration intensifies our experience. And when we don't know that this can happen, it can be upsetting in our practice. Our senses become more alert and things are more clear, but we experience things um, like fear or anxiety when they arise or a little noise in the room more intensely. And it can be called yogi mind sometimes, when little things feel very intense because there are no distractions. We're very much in the present moment. And, and we haven't yet got the stability, the deeper stability, but the mind is very sensitive. And things can be very beautiful and also very intense. And so it helps to be patient and kind when, when we're in that place of, um, and not to feel that there's something wrong with our practice, but just to know that it's normal and that these things are moving through. And you can see, in a way, how the concentrated mind is so sensitive, it sees the slightest impact of unwholesome things. And that's a protection against unskillful action, in a way. Because it would become disturbing to do something unwholesome because we really feel that, ouch, that wouldn't be skillful. So that, in turn, increases our integrity. And as our integrity increases, we feel safer. And as we feel safer, then things start to calm down. So it all is this beautiful feedback loop of the practice supporting itself and we become less and less caught by what the Dalai Lama calls afflictive emotions. 
And we also, um, as we develop these deeper understandings and um, uh, deeper realizations, um, there's a sense of um, confidence and capacity that comes. There's more trust in ourselves and we feel and sense more at ease so that when the difficulties do arise in our practice there's less um, distress about them. There's more the possibility of seeing, oh, this is an opportunity to be with this in a different way. We know nothing is wrong. This is just what's arising due to causes and conditions. And it's possible to be with this, to hold it. I was mentioning before that sometimes when we're very concentrated and the mind is very stable, there's an ability to call up, so to speak, whatever factor of awakening one likes. And um, there's a lovely sutta um, where Sariputra, one of the Buddha's um, most uh, enlightened um, disciples or um, followers, is talking about, someone asks him about the seven factors of awakening. And he talks about it being um, like a king having a wardrobe. And in the morning, he can choose whatever clothes he wants to wear. And in the afternoon, he can choose and call whatever clothes he wants to wear, and so on in the evening. So I can choose whatever factor of awakening I want to wear. I can decide, oh, equanimity is what I would like right now, and equanimity will arise. Or um, calm is what um, is needed, and calm will arise. And so he had that flexibility that there was a sense and a knowing and a capacity to bring in whatever was needed to balance his practice. And there it would be. And so it's but in our, in our practice here, it is possible to incline the mind that way, to sense more calm is needed, to incline the mind to calm. And with, without the expectation that we're going to be like Sariputra, <laughs> rats, <laughs> it didn't happen. But, but just, just by inclining the mind, we're open to that possibility of more calm. And as our practice deepens, that becomes more possible. And so we're gradually, as we're sitting here, even right now, that capacity for peace, ease, and stability is deepening. That stability of being unshake- having the unshakable heart, being fully present for ourselves and our experience and then turning that to see clearly, to look into the nature of things. Bhante Gunaratna says, not putting the concentrated mind to good use is like receiving the gift of the world's finest thoroughbred racehorse and using it for quiet country rides in the neighborhood. And so we want to put the concentration 
to good use, it's a valuable tool, but not in a striving way, in an allowing way. And so, let's sit for a moment. And as you sit, allowing the body, mind, and heart to release, settle into stillness, releasing all the words of the talk some words that fit for you, some that didn't. Some words that were helpful, some that weren't. Letting them all go. Allowing the body, mind, heart to be spacious, still, knowing Trusting in the innate capacity of mind to become collected, unified, powerful. No you to do anything. Just trust. So thank you for your attention.